to Obadiah chapter, or verse 17. There's only one chapter in Obadiah, Obadiah 17. And then I want to look at Isaiah, uh, Psalm 50, verse 2. Two verses. And, um, and uh, but before we go there, I just want to look at one verse here together with you. And, um, and that's going to be in 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. Today I just want to talk about the joy of the Advent. What is our Advent joy? It's, what is our ad joy in Christmas? Well, that's a word that you see just used a lot, joy, you know. And uh, driving up here on Kirkendall Road up to, up to Magnolia here, there's, you know, you, you're driving through the woodlands and you're just seeing these signs in Creekside, joy and, you know, jolly. And, and I think that, you know, um, I don't know for, about you, but those words kind of hit me funny a little bit. And I'm a bit of a realist. And in 1 John chapter 1, um, verses 1 through 4, I just want to read these to you. Um, and it says this, and I'm reading from the, the Lexham English Bible. Uh, what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at, and our hands have touched concerning the word of life, and the life was revealed, and we have seen and testify and announced to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was revealed to us. This is First John chapter 1, and I'm in verse 3 now. What we have seen and heard, we announce to you also, in order <clears throat> that you also may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And in verse 4, and these things we write in order that your joy may be complete. When we talk, we talk about <coughs> when we talk about joy. Um, there's just three things I want to mention here this morning. Number one, um, the great disconnect. There's, a, I think, there's a great disconnect in the world that we live in, and maybe even in Christianity between uh, what we understand as the ideal, and you know what an ideal is, right? It's a concept that is the perfect concept. It is the, it is the infallible glorious, beautiful ideal of something, like the perfect concept of something versus what is really happening in a person's life. And there's that great disconnect, number one. And number two, I want to just talk about what makes Christmas so hard. I just want to be really practical this morning with us. Um, What makes Christmas really hard? I think that we were saying as we started the service earlier that Christmas is a great time to be available to share Christ with people and to understand uh, what is the beauty of Christmas? And there's four reasons to that, why Christmas may, is so hard. And then number three, um, what makes Christmas so amazing? What makes Christmas so amazing? And I, I believe that what I have to share with you this morning is, very, is fresh. It's not going to be necessarily a typical Christmas message. And these four messages for the next four Sundays before we hit Christmas, I think are going to just be practical and fresh, um, Lord willing. And so... What, um, what is the great disconnect? There's the ideal concept of what Christmas is, and then there's the real experience. And we are, told as Christmas, we are told as Christians that Christmas should be the happiest time of year, right? Like, you know, it's the opportunity to be joyful, grateful with family, friends, and yet, according to the National Institute of Health, um, Christmas is the time of year that people experience the highest, the highest levels or the highest instances of depression and anxiety. And, um, and actually, the, the, the National Institute of Health has a name for it. It's, called, it's, it's, a, it's abbreviated SAD, Seasonal Affective Disorder. <laughs> it's like, 
They actually, it's sad. They actually have a name for it. And why is it? What is the cause of this? Well, there's this projection of idealistic happiness and romance during Christmas. I mean, you could go on some of these channels, like Hallmark channels, and just see like all the romantic couples getting together during Christmas season and the happiness and joy. And, you know, and then like, and then there's this kind of dreamy kind of uh, spirit about Christmas, isn't it? And like I was thinking this morning, right after Thanksgiving, there's this kind of spirit that just comes in on, in on America that just kind of like, it's almost like a fa- fantasy kind of thing about Christmas, dreamy almost. And, and there's this ideal that the God, you know, that is almost like Gnostic. And I don't know if you know what Gnosticism is, but it's a, it's a philosophy in the, um, in the first 100 years of the first church Gnosticism taught that Christ didn't actually come, God did not come in the flesh, but he came only as a spirit. And that when he died, he died as a spirit, and he did not die as a person. And why that is so, why that is so um, treacherous is that, is that Jesus being our Savior, if he was not fully human, then he would not be a true candidate to be our Savior. That if he was only spirit, then he could die to save the angels, but not human beings. And the truth is, is that Jesus Christ is 100% God and 100% man. There's that mystery, and there's a lot of things that are just, we use the word mystery, that we just have to look at the Trinity by faith. And there's a lot of things about truth in the Bible, we just have to look at by faith and say, Lord, teach me, because we're finite people. And if we approach the Bible as a student, and in a sense of, just of teachability, the Lord's going to really speak to us. I was driving here this morning, and I was thinking about Matthew 4, and that, um, you know, there are, there are sermons that are prepared for every day of the year, and some, some of these lectories, have you heard about this? It's like a lecture, it's a handbook of, for pastors what to preach, and it literally gives you a message. You don't even have to study. You don't even need to hear from God. You can just speak and just have some great content prepared for you, and you can do that online. But I think that without this hearing from God and understanding um, a, a, a personal relationship with God, there's no life and there's no freedom in it. And Gnosticism teaches that Jesus didn't come in the form of flesh. Why? Because flesh is bad. Physical things are bad. You know, like, oh, that's bad, or this is bad, or these objects are bad. And, and Gnosticism is just that from that Greek word gnosis, which means to know. It's all about knowledge, no experience. And I don't, want, I don't want to lose you here, but how that applies to Christmas is that we can live in such an idealistic concept of Christmas that there's just no practical walking out of the true meaning. What does Christmas mean in my personal life? I remember when we lived in Ukraine, and it was a post-communist state. Churches did not were not allowed to openly preach, teach, evangelize. And so there was a lot of Ukrainians that grew up in a communist system and they lived in a system that was very atheistic, humanistic, and there was no God. And so when there was Easter or Christmas, they looked at Santa Claus and they looked at the bunny as like, this is what we're, you know, it's just a holiday. It's like a dreamy, un, you know, un, un, something that's totally not relatable to me in my life. And the beauty of Christmas is, is that it totally relates to us that it's not some unreachable ideal, it's not some kind of idea of philosophy that is so detached from me and my family, but it's something that's very real. Jesus came and he was born in a manger 
and he can be born in my heart, and he can live in my life, my messy life, my life that's just not fixed. I was talking with somebody this week. We were just talking about how, you know, I think as Christians, we look at the world, and we look at ourselves, or look at our families, our churches, and we say, you know, people need, these people need to be fixed. As a pastor, I could look at people and say, you know what, you're not good until you're fixed. You know, you're not there until you're fixed. You're not there at this level of spirituality or, or spiritual maturity until you're fixed. I think as people, we want to fix, especially as men, we want to fix things. And God's okay. Like, the, the great fix has already happened, and that was 2,000 years ago. Jesus paid for all of our sins, past, present, and future. That's the great fix. That's the great, that is the great, um, that is the great, the, the great thing that has been done for us. And, and so, like, we don't have to fix anything, and God doesn't, God's not living in heaven waiting for us to be fixed. Jesus is in our midst. He's been born in our messy life. And because he's been born in that, we have our Savior that is in our midst. And so there's this ideal that Christ is separate from us. He's far away. He's in a manger. It's this, it's this dreamy thing. And yet here am I in my living in my life where my, you know, I need God to work in my marriage or I need God to work in my finances. And until that happens, I can't enjoy Christmas. And so that is this ideal versus the reality is that Jesus Christ came from the idealistic place, heaven, and penetrated our broken world, our broken marriages, our broken personal life, our personal life that's broken with, with things that are still not fixed after decades of being a believer. And there is no condemnation. There's a process in our lives that God is working, and he will not forsake us, and he won't leave us until he's, he's, he'll, he'll finish that. Because God, what God has done in our life, he's faithful to complete. And so the, this, there's this projection of idealistic happiness. And the ideal is, is that the ideal is, is that Jesus is born in a manger in the Middle East somewhere, and that's not part of my life. The realistic, the real thing is, and this makes Christmas very hard, and there's four things that really make some, because of this idealistic picture of our theology and about our idealistic picture of God, that God is separate and that he's not active in my life, this makes a season like this very difficult. Number one, um, and here's some practical things. Conflicts that we have in, in relationships and with family members based on unrealistic expectations. I think that unrealistic expectations from family and for family, those two, those two you know, our, our expe- these expectations that are on us and mentioned earlier, like, you know, we can have these you know, people, we can maybe feel this expectation from people like, where are you going to go to college? What are you going to do in your life? And I think that we can feel that pressure, right? And, and then there's also the pressure of expectations for family members or for the perfect social event. You know, this, these are the woodlands. You know, this is Texas. This is America. Like, whenever you have a, an event, like we had Thanksgiving at our house, and we were, you know, my wife and I worked so hard just to set it all up so it would really look nice and as I'm doing this, I'm thinking, you know, what's the most important thing about, you know, we had Thanksgiving on Thursday and then Thanksgiving on Friday again. And, um, and, and you know what the most important thing is, is that we would partake of Christ. And so any expectation that we have on people, on people's fallen flesh will always result in frustration and disappointment. We have to be careful that we have to really trust God for people. During this season, we really have to trust God for people, his work in people's lives. David said in Psalm 62, verses 5 and 6, he said, he said um, 
He said, only in God do I put my, is my soul at rest. And I think that when we have our hope in Christ for people, for people, like when I look at my son, I think, every day I just think, Lord, you know, could you do something in his life and that you would draw him to yourself and just this, this desire that, you know, this expectation that God would work in his life. And we really have to trust God for our families, don't we? We have to trust God for people because we can't control people. We can't control our, we can't even control our own lives. And when we have, when I, we put our trust in God, then there's a peace that comes in and we're no longer so moved by things that people do because people cannot fulfill our needs ultimately. And so we can't really ask them to do that. And uh, so expectations for family and for ourselves and on others is always very high during the holiday. And when we feel this fresh pressure of family expectations, don't be motivated by that. Just learn how to discern expectations from people and don't feel imprisoned to that. Because when we do that, we're trying to fulfill a need that, that nobody could ever fulfill. My needs in my flesh, you know, or your needs in your flesh can never be fulfilled by a person. And if you're married or if you're close with somebody and you look at that other person like, I need you to fulfill these needs, then we're putting something on that person that they can never fulfill. And it just kills the relationship. And that's why we have to be really, during this season, to really be built up. Every day, just draw near to the Lord. Open your Bible. Just, just read the Word. And I think just the simplicity of reading a scripture, a scripture verse, opening your Bible. I think, I think Pastor Shabelli said it over the weekend. Like, the devil just wants you to, us to get away from our Bibles, to just not have an open Bible. Like, just to be reading and let the Lord speak to us. Because when we build ourselves up in the finished work, then we're not functioning out of deficit motivation. And deficit motivation is whenever I try to do something to expect to fulfill someone's expectations in my life or your own expectations. And the result is always failure and frustration. Uh, so that's the first thing. You know, conflicts, this is what makes, I think, the holidays hard is conflicts because of unrealistic expectations on people's flesh. We really got to trust God for people. Number two, I think during the holiday, there's a lot of excessive self-reflection. You know, we're looking at ourselves a lot. And, you know, the holidays and the pictures on Facebook and pictures on your phone and these, you know, I don't, I don't know about you, but my phone has these, you know, you have a new memory, right? It pops up on your screen and you tap on it. And it's like something from 10 years ago or whatever. And you're like, you know, you're looking like, wow, did I look great back then? Or like, you know, why did I, you know, life was good back then. And, and there's this excessive self-reflection and it just creates, it just triggers this sense of like a natural viewpoint in our life. And it, and it just, want, sometimes we look at our past and we just want to take on this victim attitude like I am the victim in this situation instead of running. And so like what happens is we just kind of bolt from that and we're running from our past. And I think instead of running from your past because we can't allow it to be crucified at the cross on a daily basis, we try to pretend to be something or we try to blame people. And so what, you know, instead of living in self-reflection, just look at Christ. You know, the book of Deuteronomy is all about God saying to Israel, remember, remember, remember. It's a key word in that book. Remember the faithfulness of God. Remember how I was with you in the wilderness, how I fed you, how I gave you water out of a rock. And what my wife and I like, and I like to do sometimes is just sit down and talk about his faithfulness, you know, and, and what God has done and how he's answered prayers in the past. And, and, 
and that builds us up. Excessive self-reflection. Just don't let your past ruin your present. And don't let your past ruin your future. Look at your present in the presence of Christ. I think, and number three, if we know this, the excessive commercialization of Christmas with the focus on gifts. And I gotta, I've got to buy, <clears throat> you know, Auntie Joan a gift because she gave me a really expensive gift last year. I mean, this kind of pressure is just, this is so anti-grace and it's just, it, is, it, is, it just doesn't give any glory to God. Um, and I think number four, the fourth thing that can make Christmas really hard is that people feel very lonely at Christmas because they have suffered the loss of loved ones or they've lost their jobs or there's, there's broken relationships that are, that are just unresolved, that stay broken. And I think that during this time, it'd be very easy for us to contract into self-pity Whereas what we can do is, is we can look for the lonely person, look for the person that's on their own and minister Christ to them. Um, and number three, what really makes Christmas so amazing? And this may sound like a really simple question, but what makes Christmas so amazing is that God became a human being, that Jesus Christ today is on the right hand of the Father and he's a human being. There's, he is, he's still 100% human and it's still 100% God. And it's amazing that when we get to heaven and we get to the throne room and we see just the glorious beasts and the glorious angels and the glorious um, praise and, the, and, and wonders of heaven, we're going to look all around and we may actually feel a little bit for maybe even a millisecond like, you know, I'm a human being, what am I doing here? Until we look at the throne of God and we see a human being, we see a man, we see our advocate, we see our lawyer, we see our friend, we see our brother, and what makes Christmas so amazing is that God became a man. And one of the most amazing theological things that I like to think about, the most wondrous things, is that Jesus humbled himself in Philippians chapter 2 and became a man. I think, it's my opinion, that the devil was so surprised by that act because the devil is an angel and he never even considered that God would humble himself and become a man, that God would be that, and because I think the devil looks at God the way he looks at himself. He looks at God as proud and arrogant. He looks at God as unjust and unloving, because that's who Satan is himself. And he looks at God, and when he saw when he when he saw mankind fall, when he deceived mankind, the devil thought God is being a God of justice and a God of of, of righteousness will wipe man out on the face of the earth because that's what the devil would have done. Because the devil's not just a bad guy, he's extremely moral as well. I mean, if you look at the devil and what he, how he functions, he's very, very, very extremely moral. He's actually an angel of light, Paul tells us, to the book of Corinthians. And so actually, immorality and the grossness of sin and the brokenness of humanity really disgusts the devil, surprisingly enough. And so when, <clears throat> when Jesus became a man... That was something the devil never, he never, he never, it never entered into the mind of Satan because the mind of Satan is so proud, the humility of God. And that God would humble himself and become a man, Jesus Christ, and be born in our broken world. It was so, such a shock, he never even, I, it's, it's something that never entered the mind of the devil that God would humble himself like that. And that's why Christmas is so amazing, that God became truly, number one, God became truly human. 
and we have a remarkable resource <clears throat> to face pain and suffering because Jesus Christ walked through what we walked through. He, he, he grew up, we don't know what happened with Joseph, so he grew up with a single mom at some point. It seems like that Joseph was not there the whole time. We don't see him later on in scripture. We have an amazing, we have a man that has been tempted in all points. You know, Jesus Christ has been tempted in every way that a person could be tempted, yet without sin. And so Jesus Christ knows not the pain of lust and desire, but Jesus Christ knows the pain of temptation. He knows that pain. When temptation comes our way, because he was a human being, he knows that. And we can go to Jesus Christ and say, and not live in condemnation and fear and just be like, okay, I feel so condemned and being tempted. But we can go to Christ and say, Lord, I'm being tempted. There's no condemnation. Please minister and, con- and console me. And what happens is, is that because Jesus Christ knows that, he can come in and comfort us. Sorry, I couldn't hear what you Sorry. <laughs> Number two, um, because God became human, we shouldn't be too impressed with the glitz, physical beauty, status, and achievement and power. I think during Christmas, the season, there's a lot of glitz and glitter, and there's just so much that we can be impressed with. But Jesus Christ, there's nothing comely about him. And I'm not saying that having things is bad. We talked about this at our house the other day. Friday is like, having things is not bad. I just think that, like, we don't live in just an illegal attachment to these things. And because he became truly human, there's not this... Let's not, let's not compare ourselves with other people that may have more or less because Christ was not so impressed by that. And then, and then number three, and this is the last point I want to make, and I just want to, want to park at this for a minute, is that because God became truly human, because he was material and not just a spirit, not just a divine being, but he, was made, he had material, he could be touched because matter, Jesus Christ became in the form of man, and matter matters, if that makes sense. Jesus took a physical body. He was, he was a human being, and that everything that he did, he sanctified. That means that like when he took the bread at the time of communion, and he broke it, and he blessed it, and he broke it, that bread became sanctified and sacred. Anything that Jesus touched became sacred and, and special and full of meaning. During the Christmas season, People are really looking for meaning and they're looking for memorable experiences, things that they can take pictures of and just say this was a memorable thing because there's a part of us that really desires meaning and desires significance. And when Jesus Christ is in the midst of something, when Jesus Christ is in the presence of something, in in our presence, then that makes everything very significant and very special. He can take just a, a, Jesus can walk into a room full of sinners and just people that are just um, outcasts of society, people that are rejected, and he can make that a very sacred place. Jesus Christ can touch a leper that has, been, that has been ostracized from society, someone that you and I may know that's been ostracized from the family or ostracized from, from family, and he can touch that person and he can set that person free and make them sacred. He can take a broken life, and I was thinking about John Newton, um, who wrote Amazing Grace. I mean, we... We know that he was a slave trader in Africa. He, was, uh, he had a name for himself. He would call himself the, um, the blasphemer, a young, an old blasphemer of God. He, was, uh, he lived to, to disavow the name of Christ. He did so much, and then yet he gets saved. 
and he writes this story, he writes this hymn about the amazing grace of God. He can take a man like that, a life like that, and he can make it sacred. He can take a man like Paul, who killed Christians. I mean, how worse can you get? You're killing Christians. How, how much badder can you get? And he can touch a man's life like that, and he can sanctify it. He can take your life, and he can take my life, with all the broken pieces of our past that we try to run away from, and he can touch it, and he can make that sacred. <clears throat> he, can make that, he, make, he can make that something very beautiful. And that's what the beauty of Christmas is, is that, is that as, as John said in 1 John chapter 1, and we'll just hit Obadiah 17 next, next Sunday, but John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, talks about joy. And this is why I can have joy this Christmas when there are broken things in my past. I can have joy because Christ is in my midst. He is with me. He loves us. He, he is connected with us. And we are connected with Christ. And that brings so much meaning. That brings so much significance into our life. And we're not chasing those things in our life. Um, so the incarnation means that God believes the material world to be ruled through grace. That could, be, that could reveal God's nature and order and redemption through us. I think that this Christmas, this Christmas season, is an opportunity that, that we can walk out the presence of Christ, that we can be present. I think sometimes, and I grew up, <clears throat> I grew up in a family that didn't really maybe have a lot of compassion for suffering. And it's just New England's, you know, it's just New England's style. Like, there's not a lot of compassion. There's not a lot of... You know, I think that that maybe people can be that way because they're afraid of suffering. They're afraid of brokenness. They're afraid of pain. And when we face our pain face to face, we don't need to run from it. When we face painful memories or painful circumstances, uh, Christ has been there. He's gone before us. And we can trust him and we can listen to him. And I think there's a lot of people, there's a lot of us that ask the, the question why. And that's normal. It's human to ask ourselves these questions. Why? But I think the answer that God gives us is not an answer to our whys, but he gives us a who, Jesus Christ. He gives us the person of Christ. And that person can console us and can minister to us and to, and to give us his mind about where, where we're at. So just close in prayer here. And